Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, it always is exciting when we get uh, a new year, we get those new shirts, and then uh, it's exciting to start seeing them all over town and uh, see people wearing them and to hear stories back of people asking about the, uh, about the shirts. So uh, it is great to see you this morning. We are in a series that uh, models or reflects the uh, theme for the year, which is Go, Your World is Waiting. And it's meant to be both an encouragement and a challenge to our church in this new year to be going to where people are, being ready at all times, to share the gospel that many are waiting just to hear. Go, the world is waiting. Today we're going to turn together to uh, Matthew chapter 16, page 822 in the worship Bibles provided for you underneath the uh, chair in front of you, or if you're seated on the front row, underneath your chair. In this passage, we find, as we saw last week, a a moment that is climactic in the life of Jesus and a moment that is also life-changing for his disciples. They've been with him for three years, and finally, 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 they're coming to a point of decision. Jesus asked them two questions. He says, first of all, who do others say that I am? And they say, a great prophet, a man, but a great prophet sent from God. And then Jesus asked the single most important question he will ever ask of anyone, the single most important question we will ever hear. And he says to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that uh, is the question of questions. Peter The leader of the disciples steps forward and he speaks on behalf of all the disciples and he says to them, or says to Jesus on their behalf, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We have watched you. We've seen you. We've watched you in your ministry. We've watched you in your private times. We've watched you heal. We've watched you uh, uh, perform all kinds of miracles. But even more importantly, we've heard you teach. You teach with authority and you bring such a uh, power with you and a power about you. Uh, You make our hearts burn as we hear you and as we watch you. And we've come to the conclusion, we've talked, and we've come to the conclusion you are the Christ, God's Messiah King. You are the Son of the living God. And Peter, what uh, he uh, is given as a result of his stepping forward is Jesus' affirmation. He says to him, you are absolutely right, Peter. That is who I am. But let me take some time to explain to you why it matters that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he goes on to explain to Peter that this demonstration, this uh, announcement of faith is going to be the foundation for the church that he will begin, that he has launched, that group of people who are committed to him as this Savior King. That kind of faith, that acknowledgement of who he is is going to be the foundation, but It will also be the means by which he builds his church, that this news of God's Son, God's Savior King coming, 
is going to be the news. Faith in that news is going to be, be the means by which he expands his church. He says, look, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and I'm going to give you as well the power. I'll give you the power to both loose and to bind. What he's talking about there in, in the power of the keys of the kingdom and the loosing and the binding is, is all bound up in who he is, this Messiah King, the keys to the kingdom or the truths of the gospel. He says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, those, those things that will open the door of life to those who are dying. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, the truths of the gospel. I'm giving you the authority and with this gospel, the, the, uh, 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 the ability as you bring men and women to a point of decision uh, about Jesus, I, I'm giving to you this authority from me to bring them to a point of decision at which they will have to choose faith or, or unbelief on their own. They will be loosed and released to life or they will stay bound. Well said, Peter. Well said, Jesus says. Jesus is uh, helping his disciples to see what their confession actually means. Part of what he's showing them and part of what he shows us is that believing in Jesus means belonging to his people, the church, that his objective, his, his uh, uh, goal as this Savior King is to gather people together that belong to him who become what he calls the church, the gathering of those who believe. Believing in Jesus means belonging to his church, but he also shows that belonging to his people means actively seeking others to believe, to belong, and to find life. There is this natural kind of desire that when you have experienced the good news, you want to share it with others. I, uh, I had uh, uh, a chance this uh, yesterday evening to stop by here. We've moved almost all of our, well, all of our tech equipment except audio into a production room, and we're getting ready for the stadium seating to come in a, in a couple of months. And so we've probably, uh, not me, but they have uh, unplugged and plugged about, I don't know, 10,000 cables. So I was a little nervous about today with the lights be on. Could anybody hear me? Would my teaching monitor work? Would, would things work? And so I came and, and was looking at everything, and I was making my way out. I met uh, one of my brothers. He was standing at the door, and actually he surprised me, and, and uh, you kind of scared me just a little bit because I didn't expect anybody to be standing right there at the door at 5.20 p.m. on a Saturday, but there, there you were. And uh, so after I got over the initial shock, uh, he said, Pastor, I'm trying to get in. I said, okay, uh, he said, I'm, I'm wanting some of those invite cards. I'm wanting to get some of those invite cards. He said, you know, uh, I always get two or three invite cards uh, every Sunday. But he said, I really need more than that. I really need more than that. I want to share that with, with, with people as I'm working and, and people that I engage with. And, and, and I said, well, sure, let's find them. And, and he found them. And as we were walking out, you said something to me that uh, really mattered to me. He said, and is so uh, strong for the gospel. Uh, you said to me, um, and I'm going to paraphrase you because I don't have it memorized, but I'm, I'm real close. <laughs> you correct me later if I'm wrong. But uh, you said, uh, Jesus has done so much to change my life that I just need to help others find him.
And uh, he meant that. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. It's natural. It's, when I come to find good news that changes my life, it's very natural for me then to want to share that good news with others around me. And uh, that is what Jesus is speaking to as he, as he uh, blesses Peter and affirms what he said. After, though, I want you to see this, after he affirms uh, what he's about and what he's after, Jesus goes on further with his explanations. He also shows that, this, that in his role as the saving king that God has sent, he, he, uh, he wants them to understand how he's going to do this saving and why he's going to do this saving. And so consequently, our passage actually brings us to the heart of what we know is the gospel, of what uh, we know as the good news about Jesus. And so today we want to focus our attention on Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. Do you find it? Do you have it there? Let's read it. From that time, after... Jesus had affirmed Peter and and affirmed what he was going to do with his church. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, that he must be killed, and on the third day he must be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me. Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You are setting your mind on the things or the concerns of man. Today I want to come back again and one more time talk to you about why the gospel is the one thing that followers of Jesus must be absolutely clear on. The one thing followers of Jesus must be absolutely clear on for themselves, for their families, and for others, those that God has put around them. We've said that the reason that this is the case is that uh, there are many who don't understand the gospel and don't clearly understand its purpose. We said that uh, the best explanation for the gospel and, and its absolute priority is found in Romans 1.16 where the apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the true gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, oh yes, but also to the Greek. Not ashamed. The gospel It is the power of God for salvation. Now, why is that the case? Paul goes on to say, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is to say, the means of becoming right with God is revealed. The power of all of this and and the, and the heart of all of this is found right here. The gospel of Jesus does not show us a way to put ourselves right with God, it doesn't say do, 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 and then you'll be saved. But rather, the gospel says believe. The gospel is the story, watch this, of God making a way for us to be put right with him. He puts us right. We don't put ourselves right. He puts us right. We don't put ourselves right. He must put us right. 
In that gospel, there is the announcement that the righteousness, that which puts us in a right relationship with God, is from God, and it, re- and it is revealed as coming by way of a personal, wholehearted faith. Paul says he has complete confidence in this gospel because it is of what God uses to save. It has power. It has the power to set people free. It has the power to set them free of the penalty of sin, the guilt of sin. It has the power to restore them to life, to a living relationship with him. And the way that this powerful gospel works is not to help us put ourselves right, but to show us what God did to put right all those who place their faith in him. In Christ, God has done everything necessary for sinners to be rescued and for sinners to be restored. And so we've said that in the gospel, we discover God doesn't first ask people to behave. God asks people first to believe. Is there a behavior that accompanies a, a, a transformed life? Absolutely, of course there is. But God doesn't say, do, 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 and then I'll save you. He says, believe. He says, believe. And when we believe, then, then, our minds are transformed, our hearts are transformed, and our hands are transformed. Belief comes before the change in behavior. When we do believe, we begin to have a a changed life. We begin uh, to to realize that our eternal destiny has been changed. It's been altered as well. I, I, I now have the gift of eternal life. And this is what makes the gospel then the most important issue on earth. And it is why believers have to be absolutely clear for themselves, for their families, and for those who are around them. We've admitted, and I think we need to admit again, that not everyone who professes faith in Christ understands the gospel. They don't have a firm grasp on what it is. And that gets exposed when you uh, ask, Questions like, what does a person uh, have to uh, do in order to be saved? What, what, what do they have to do? What, what is their part? And the answer comes back, uh, invite Jesus into your heart. Be baptized. Uh, you got to read your Bible and go to church. Uh, you need to live a good life. Uh, walk with Jesus. We said last week that all of those, all of those answers, uh, some of them have a tinge of truth, some of them are just outright false, but none of them is the gospel. Not one of them has the power uh, of God attached to it to save. Inviting Jesus into your heart, as so many of us were encouraged to do when we were young, if we grew up in church, uh, does not save you. You can say, Jesus, come into my heart. That doesn't save you. It is a, an engagement with the gospel that leads to a wholehearted faith and a posture of submission where we bow to the truths of the gospel and the Savior who is himself the gospel. We bow.
we bow. That's the posture of someone who's been, as Jesus put it, born again, born again. So it's not a matter of just inviting Jesus into your heart, of, of making a decision, filling out a card, walking down an aisle, taking a pastor by the hand. Um, all of those things could have accompanied genuine salvation, but that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Whenever that uh, reality is present in a person's life, it always means one of two things. It means either that the true gospel of God in Christ has been replaced by another gospel and they're putting their faith in a Jesus that isn't or they're putting their faith in a gospel that isn't or it means that there may have been a transfer of information of the true gospel but there was never a transformation of the heart. Why? Because there was never a yielding, a submission to the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior King, Son of God, worthy of my life. Not a yielding. Because this is so important, we're asking the question, we're affirming, first of all, with what Jesus is teaching and what Paul has taught, and that is that anyone who believes in Christ can be saved, but we're also affirming that only those who truly believe will be. And belief has a content. Belief has truths attached to it. It is belief in the Christ of the New Testament of the Gospels. So we're asking the question, what is the real gospel? What is the good news that comes with power to save? What is that gospel? We looked last week at this passage and uh, we've affirmed that uh, we've got to be clear on at least four things that Jesus points out in his conversation with the disciples. We've got to be clear if we're going to have a firm grasp of the gospel, we've got to be clear on the identity of Jesus, the objective of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, and the purpose of Jesus. We've already seen together the identity of Jesus, Savior King, Son of the living God, the objective of Jesus to gather a people for himself who have that faith commitment. Today we want to look together at the mission of Jesus, and here we get at what I like to call the heart of the heart of the gospel. Do you see it with me? You find it in verse 21. Notice again what Jesus says. Here we find the mission of Jesus, how he's going to save and how he's going to form a people for himself. The Scripture says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised from the dead to life. Matthew points or reports, if you read the gospel, that uh, from this point forward, from Peter's good confession, uh, Jesus begins the process of explaining to his disciples what his being, the Messiah, the Son of God, actually means in terms of his own life and in terms of his own work. And apparently it took some time. That's why the Scripture says here he began. He began. Why? Well, because his work as God's Savior King was nothing like the disciples thought it was going to be. What he said literally shocked them. It was not what anyone in his day expected the Messiah's work to be. 
He said, I must do four things. I must go to Jerusalem and be rejected. I must suffer with malicious torture and humiliation at the hands of human beings who matter, at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, those who formed what was the equivalent of the Supreme Court. He said, I'm destined to die in, in apparent defeat, and I'm destined to be raised from death and defeat to victory. This is my destiny. Jesus knows that as God's Savior King, he, He's coming to be a perfect sacrifice, a ransom to pay, to pay the price for sinners by bearing their sin on Himself. This is an unexpected and a very unattractive mission. Jesus seeks to prepare the disciples for what is coming, and he wants them to be sure that they've got the heart of the heart of the good news. Oh, my, here is my destiny, Jesus says, and the disciples can hardly comprehend it. They can hardly comprehend it. You could look this up, but I found after first service, maybe this better thing is just for you to listen. Let me read to you. Let me read to you this passage of Scripture. This destiny of Jesus was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Just listen. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We saw him as nothing. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, we saw him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We assumed he had done something wrong to suffer what he suffered the way he suffered it. But we were wrong. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. This is the heart of the gospel. It is yielding wholeheartedly by faith to this Jesus. A lot of Jesus is out there and a lot of gospels. But the gospel with power to save is the gospel that points to this Jesus. A Jesus, watch now, who bears a cross and asks us to bear a cross, not a cushion. This gospel work of Jesus, prophesied as it was, was misunderstood by the Jews, and it was misunderstood by Jesus' own disciples. They, uh, 
They could not believe what he was saying. I mean, here these men have given up everything to follow Jesus. They've given up their occupations, their homes. They've, they've left their families. And, and they, they are excited, thrilled that now what they suspected was true about him has been confirmed as true. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. But they can't get past the fact, they can't move past the fact that his mission is not what they thought his mission was going to be. They wanted a Messiah who would come, ready for battle, who would come, able to deliver total victory over Israel's enemies, ready to establish his kingdom, ready to rule, ready to reign, ready to give them everything they, they wanted. And that was the gospel they wanted. That was the good news. What Jesus is talking about, that's not good news. That's not even anywhere close to good news. Death, defeat, suffering. Such bad news to them given all that they've given up for him. A lot of folks today, in our country in particularly, in our culture, who have done what Peter did. They found the Messiah. They, they understand his identity. They might even understand his objective, but they've got his mission wrong. They fall into this recurring temptation of celebrating who he is, affirming that he's come to gather a people to himself, but changing, recasting what his mission is, why he actually came. Caleb Flores, uh, in an article that I found so powerful, I want to share I want to share some, some things that he said with you. He, he wrote an article entitled, Why Jesus Didn't Die for You, and uh, speaks powerfully into to our culture. Flores says, there are four things Jesus didn't die for that a lot of us think he did. First, Jesus didn't die for our American dream. Jesus didn't die to make us and our families healthy. He didn't die to make us wealthy. He didn't die to make us secure. He didn't die to make us comfortable. Jesus didn't die for our American dream, though you will find many who speak as if that is exactly why Jesus came. You know, that in our country and in our culture, because we do have wealth, that could be our current state. We, we could have more than we need and all of those things. But the point is we shouldn't confuse the blessings that we experience with the purpose of God in Christ. The only riches a believer is promised to have in Christ in this life are the joy and peace that come from knowing that we have a good God and a loving God who has saved us at the infinite cost of his only son. That's our joy. That's our peace. For as says, secondly, and I'm going to offend some people here. Jesus didn't die for us to be poster children for some cause dear to us. Um, Jesus didn't die for the liberal cause. Progressive cause, conservative cause, the environmental cause, the social justice cause, the family values cause. The name of Jesus is very frequently attached to all kinds of causes as if they are his. I think we forget something, 
and we do it rather easily. Jesus didn't die for any of our causes. Jesus is not a conservative Republican. Jesus is not a progressive Democrat. Jesus is not a libertarian and he is not a socialist. Jesus is the Savior King, the Son of the living God. Now, listen, what that means is not that believers don't care about the environment or justice or family values. We do, we do, we do. But it means that we don't ever make these causes our supreme concern. We don't live for these causes. Our supreme concern is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection, and his promise to come again. That's our cause. And we are to live defined by this one message of the gospel. Everything else in our lives is to come second. Everything else in our lives is to come second. My prayer for our church is that we will become more and more a gospel-centered, gospel-driven uh, church, that we will see ourselves as members of Center Grove, if you're a member, that, that we will see ourselves as partners in the gospel. I haven't even thought about getting rid of the name member, getting it out of the Constitution and just calling everybody who is a partner. And so the invitation is to become a partner with us in a gospel, not a member of a club. And remember, the, the phrase member is biblical and all that. I don't, but, but so is partner, partners in the gospel. That everything we do as a church should be measured, should be measured by how well it advances the gospel, the gospel in the lives of people. Jesus, Flores says, didn't die so we wouldn't have to change. Uh, the gospel is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel is not a uh, coupon uh, to live any way you want to. Have you ever seen that kind of Christianity? It's like they got a coupon book. Whoop, messed up. Here, here's a coupon, paid in full. Whoop, messed up. Here's a coupon, paid in full. Coupon Christianity is not anchored in the gospel. Listen, without Jesus, without his death, there's no justification. There's no right relationship with God. Without Jesus, we're trapped. Uh, slaves, we're slaves to our own desires. We're slaves who can't obey God even if we want to. He died so that we could change. He died so that we would change. He's looking for change. And that's why I've taught you over the years a faith that does not change your life is a faith that will not save your soul. See, this is one of the reasons why I think, if you'll let me just pause here a second, this is one of the reasons why I think across the country we see masses of our, of our kids growing up in the church coming to church regularly, they go to high school, they graduate from high school, they go to college or they go in the military or they go to work or whatever they do, and they never come back to church. Do you know why? 
Because they invited Jesus into their heart. Because they got baptized. Because they raised their hand, they filled out a card. But never really understood and yielded their lives to a gospel that says you're wounded, you're broken, you can't fix yourself, you're twisted, you need a rescue. And the rescuer you need is Jesus. It's far, far more than just believing that God is love. It's believing that this God of love is also a holy God. And with all of his heart, he wants a relationship restored with him. So much more. Raising your hand, praying a quick prayer, walking an aisle, getting baptized. You can do that every day for the rest of your life and you will never be saved. Salvation is seeing Jesus as he is, recognizing why he came and how he came to save. A lot of people who bear the name of Jesus, who still love law, they like obeying rules. They want, give me a list of rules, I'll check them off, and I'll earn my way into God's good graces. Gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel that saves is a gospel of grace. It declares our utter dependence upon God for righteousness and, and for life. In other words, the true gospel... Well, let's go back. The true gospel refuses to add our due to what Jesus has said is finished and done. It's not do, 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 hope, 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 hope. That somehow all the good things I've done have outweighed all the bad things that I've done. It's not how the gospel works. If that's the gospel you're using to approach God, you're going to find it fails. It's not do. It's believe. It's believe. And then the change comes. That means that we believers should uh, anchor our lives to this gospel. We should live our lives around this gospel, that what Jesus did die to give us was an inheritance of immeasurable riches in God's presence for eternity. It means that what, God, uh, what Christ did die to give us was a place in the only kingdom and the only cause that really count, his kingdom, his cause. He died to give us both a desire and, and the ability to stop sin and to do good for his glory. He 
died to give us a, a, the freedom from the need to amass all these good works and to give us instead a freedom to obey him, not out of terror fear, but out of love for him. Oh, I still have rules. Ten commandments are still good for me. They just aren't going to save me. But I do them because I love Jesus. I'm faithful to my wife because I love Jesus. That's the difference. Motivated out of love for him who gave his life for me. All this done by a Savior who was rejected by those he came to save, who suffered at the hands of those who came to save, who was killed at the hands of those who came to save, but was raised at the hands of his Father. All right, so having his identity and his objective and, and his mission clear, we've got to finally go on to the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus. You'll notice with me in verse 22 how it is that, that Peter, having said one of the best things he could say about Jesus, now does one of the worst things he could do. And Peter, verse 22, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. You're setting your mind on human concerns. Now, Jesus turns back here in this passage a direct challenge to his father's mission. And it is so serious that, that he pushes back very, very hard. This challenge is, is so very serious. Jesus takes it seriously. And so on the same day that Jesus said one of the best things he could ever say about Peter is also the same day when he said one of the, the, the worst things you could ever hear Jesus say to you. Go away. Get behind me so I can't see you. You're like Satan to me right now. Now, does that sound like you're Jesus? Does that sound like you're Jesus? You're afraid to say it, aren't you? <laughs> Why is Jesus coming on so strong? He will not abide anything that threatens the gospel. He knows that eternities hang in the gospel. He knows lives only change when they encounter the gospel. Go away. Get behind me where I can't see you. You're a hindrance to me. Surrendering to his enemies, suffering, dying, being raised to life and victory was God's plan for his Savior King. That was God's plan. Peter's plan and everyone else's plan was for this Savior King to come ready for battle, ready to reject the rejectors, ready to oppress the oppressors, ready to kill the killers, ready to defeat the defeaters, ready to deliver total victory, ready to deliver success, all of those things to his people. And to do it here on earth, so human, 
So Peter, so me, so you. Peter, you're not thinking like God thinks. You're thinking like men and women think. You got your head in the wrong place, Peter. Oh, how different we are from God. When it comes to enemies, our concern is to crush them. But God in his grace, when it comes to enemies, his concern is to make them friends by showing himself to be a friend of sinners and showing sinners they are their own worst enemies. When it comes to suffering, we want to avoid it at all costs. God's concern in his son is to engage it, to bear it out of love for those loved ones who need it. When it comes to dying, our course is live defeating death. You know, eat those nuts, the yogurt, the bark, the tree leaves. Defeat it. God's plan is to defeat death with death so that death dies and those that he love, loves lives. So Peter got Jesus' identity right. He got Jesus' objective right, but he got his mission all wrong. Jesus is saying, and I need for you to hear this, Jesus is saying, my mission is not to give you what you want. My mission is to give you what you need. And you've got to be careful. I want to warn you, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful because there are people who in the name of Jesus will tell you that God in Christ has come to give you a healthy, uh, problem-free life, to give you a perfect marriage and a perfect family with perfect kids. That's not why he came. All that perfection is coming on the other side. He calls us to be like himself. How many mansions did Jesus have? The Son of Man has no place to lay his, what? Head. Be careful, be careful, be careful. There are so many Jesuses out there and there are so many Gospels. This gospel comes with a cross. It does not come with a gold pillow. Who would want that? That would hurt. It would not come with a uh, gold bedstead and a big fluffy pillow. How's that? Does that work? I'm not against big fluffy pillows except they give me a neck ache. If you have one, good for you. God's purpose in the gospel is to meet us at the point of our deepest need. And you know what happens, loved ones, is that when God in Christ is allowed to meet us at the point of our deepest need, that hunger and thirst we have that we've tried to satisfy with so many things from the world, they start to fade away. And I've seen followers of Jesus with... Uh, extraordinary physical challenges, live in real joy in the midst of their physical challenges 
because their joy, their peace is never anchored anymore in how they feel or how they look or what they have or what they can do. It's all anchored in the precious blood of Jesus and the righteousness that has come to be theirs in him and the confidence they can have in the present and the anticipation of being with him face-to-face in the future. That's real freedom. That's real joy. 16 mansions never cured cancer. Never made it easy. Permanent beauty never overcame a tragedy. Jesus has. Jesus does. That is the gospel. Now, all kinds of people can claim to be good and to be God's in Jesus' name. But unless the true gospel, the identity, the objective, the mission and purpose that Jesus claimed is what their faith is anchored in, is if that gospel remains unedited, unchanged, that is where genuine salvation is found. It's in that gospel and with a posture that simply says and lives bowing bowing so what is what is the real gospel the good news that uh, comes with power to save what is that well we can say in addition the gospel is that God's son has come to suffer death's defeat for us for us in our place, paying the penalty of our sin for us, for us, so that raised to life, he might share his life in victory with us when by faith we acknowledge, I am a sinner. I have a sin problem I cannot defeat. I need a Savior. And Jesus, you're the Savior I need and to you. I bow and I give my life. I'm not going to add any do to what you've already done. When that happens, everything starts changing. You cannot be the same as you were. Remember, a faith that doesn't change your life will not save your soul.
So, what does this mean for you? Well, it means that uh, you and I and everyone else can only be saved and can only be changed with new life in Christ by submitting to these gospel truths by faith. Submission and trust, repentance, turning from our old way of life, seeing it for what it is, and placing a wholehearted trust in Christ as the only one who can pay for my sin, the only one who can give me life, that is what brings us to new life in Christ. The point is not how you felt. The point is not how you feel. The point is not the words you said exactly right. The point is the posture you take or you took before the gospel of Jesus. What's your posture? All across the room, I want to invite you to stand. And if today you're a follower of Jesus, your, your profession is that you are a believer, you are a Christian, I want to ask you the question. Go back. Go back to that moment or to that season where you made a decision for Christ in your mind, a moment or a decision. Remember the circumstances. Remember the condition of your heart, of your mind. What was going on then? Is it possible that you raised your hand when somebody else did? Is it possible you filled out a card, but it was kind of like I'm need to do this just to be sure about eternity that's not going to save were you baptized at age 14 because you were two years behind according to the rules of the church where you went and you were tired of people putting pressure on you that's not going to save you are you counting all the, the good things that you've done in Jesus' name and saying, see, but see, but see, but see what I've done, what I've done. You're adding do to done. Your done is nothing compared to his. And you're doing, all you're doing cannot erase your sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what? This may be the single most important Sunday of your entire life. Perhaps you've been living with a false sense of assurance from a card, a raised hand, a baptism, or a quick prayer, Jesus, come into my heart. So if this were your last day on earth, 
would you be found bowing to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And would he know you as belonging to him? Just a moment, we're going to sing a, an invitation song. We're going to be right here. There are some folks today who need to make a real, genuine step of faith and cross the line and say, Here I am. I believe you're the Son of the living God, Savior King. You died for me. Now I will live for you. We'll ask our prayer partners to come, and Jerry, I'll ask you to come and lead us. This is a great song. We sang it for the first time last week, and I liked it so much I wanted it sung again. It just gathers up everything that we're talking about as we talk about the gospel. Ladies, we have ladies here for you to pray with, to talk with. Gentlemen, we have some men for you to pray with and talk with. Perhaps you're just not sure and you just say, I'm just not sure where I stand in my personal relationship with God. But I don't want to wait another minute. I don't want to be resting in something that has no power to save. So I invite you to come as together we sing this song of response. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.